A few years ago, a book came out called The Magic of Reality by Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist. I actually prefer to call him the famous anti-Catholic because a lot of what he says ultimately comes down to that. But anyway, the book was meant to show that we could find sufficient meaning in the natural world to be satisfied without having to believe in God. And he wrote, I want to show you that the real world, as understood scientifically, has magic of its own, the kind I call poetic magic, an inspiring beauty which is all the more magical because it is real and because we can understand how it works. Next to the true beauty and magic of the real world, supernatural spells and stage tricks, by which he means religion, of course, seem cheap and tawdry by comparison. The magic of reality is neither supernatural nor a trick, but quite simply wonderful. Wonderful and real. Wonderful because it is real. Well, it's kind of heady stuff, this beauty of nature. And what he says, I guess, has a certain superficial appeal, perhaps. But then, when Mr. Dawkins is asked why he does not believe in God, in another context, he responds that it is evident from the suffering that occurs in nature. And he said, The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and some people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So what to make of this? Either Richard Dawkins finds the cruelty of nature magical, or he finds it wonderful, or he finds it cruel, or both. Or perhaps he just isn't hobbled by the need for consistency like us lesser mortals. The sad thing is that Richard Dawkins and many other atheists like him say that all that, all that human beings need to live and to flourish is science and reason, without faith. But on the other hand, he has stated that he believes that the vast majority of humans on this earth, or who have ever lived on this earth, disqualify themselves from being called reasonable or scientific because they have faith of one sort or another. One is left to wonder, then, if his real truck might not be so much with God, but with mankind. In understanding our Catholic faith about Mary and her role in our salvation, we often come across the strongest skepticism. Many people, even if they don't have faith, are willing to entertain the possibility of God. Some are even willing to give a sympathetic ear to the idea of Jesus Christ. At least they can look at the Bible and see the things he said and the things he did. Things that, even to an unbeliever, make a certain modicum of sense. 
Richard Dawkins has even commended Jesus' teaching on several occasions. But bring up the subject of Mary, and we often run into a swirling storm of emotions from atheists and from fellow Christians alike. Many of our Protestant brothers and sisters would be incredulous at the very thought of being part of a celebration of the Assumption of Mary, let alone believing in it. As with the promotion of abortion, there may be a certain misogyny at the heart of this visceral rejection of celebrating Mary's role in the Christian life. Despite the fact that many of the people who protest Marian devotion or advocate abortion claim to be the great champions of women's equality. But that's a topic for another day. Perhaps more simply, many people, even Christians, have trouble with Marian devotion because they have the hard time accepting that one of our own truly lived in the kind of perfect intimacy with God such that they were able to be without sin. Jesus, we can always put in a category of one. He was human, but he was also divine. But to have trust in Mary is to believe that God works the extraordinary through the ordinary. This woman, who could have been any woman, but she was specifically selected to be the recipient of God's grace, if only she could give herself over to it. And she did. As she could say, my soul magnifies the Lord. People have trouble accepting that Christ came into the world in the flesh to be one of us in every way but sin. But also that he came into the world through Mary, who was and is one of us, also without sin. Mary did not cause Christ in the order of priority, but she did in the order of cooperation. And that, perhaps, is a pill too difficult for many to swallow. Perhaps we struggle to accept this precisely because it's hard to imagine one of us in that kind of cooperation with God. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. We've all been hurt by somebody. We've all been let down by somebody whether it was a parent or a teacher or a coach or a priest or a brother or sister or our own child. We might come back to trusting them again someday in a certain way, but we never again give ourselves fully over to them because we know that like any sinful person, they will eventually let us down in some way. In the book of Revelation, when the author John peers into the great temple in heaven, He sees the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark is a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Just as Jesus came in the flesh as the new covenant, replacing the old covenant, which was written in tablets of stone, so too is Mary meant to be the new Ark of the Covenant in the flesh, gloriously adorned and worthy of our highest veneration. In our own day, we prefer to trust more in ideas, in principles, and laws, and science, because we no longer trust in persons. But in our devotion to Mary, we can have that complete trust in another person. 
She is our mother because she was Christ's mother. Her sinlessness is a reflection of Christ's perfection. Our trust in her is only a reflection of that trust that Christ had in her, through which she received all the graces to be immaculately conceived. And our love for her is also a reflection of the love that Christ had for her, by which she was assumed bodily into heaven at the end of her life. In 1950, when the world was living in the wake of the Second World War, millions had been killed on the battlefield, millions killed in the Holocaust. The great cities of Europe were in ruins. Communism was descending like an iron curtain on Eastern Europe. And the world stood on the brink of another war, this time atomic. And many people were questioning whether there was any hope for mankind. It was at that time that Pope Pius XII defined for the Church the dogma of the Assumption of Mary. Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychologist and also an atheist, said that he saw in the idea of the Assumption of Mary the only true hope for the world, because it was the only way we could restore our trust in each other, our trust in humanity. Our trust in Mary is our hope for the redemption of the world through Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.